But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of attending a conference in New York City on preaching. And the conference was held at a very old, very large, very wealthy Episcopal church in downtown Manhattan. In fact, this had been the home parish of J.P. Morgan. And uh, they like to brag at this church, this is a cathedral of the spoken word, or the preached word, they said a couple times, which was funny, because J.P. Morgan's name is literally inscribed on the front of their pulpit, but that's neither here nor there. While we were there, though, another priest told me a funny story that this church in the late 1800s or early 1900s had invited the great evangelist, evangelical evangelist, Billy Sunday, to come preach at their church. And before the service, Billy Sunday sat down in the front pew and he picked up the Book of Common Prayer and he began thumbing through it. And of course, this would have been the Book of Common Prayer that we use, the Book of Common Prayer right in front of you at the time. And he got so impressed with the substance of our liturgy that he remarked later, heaven help the devil if the Episcopalians ever wake up. Indeed, this is the great struggle that every Christian tradition has, but Anglicans and Episcopalians seem to have that struggle a little bit more. You know, this is where the, the idea of the Episcopal Church as the country club comes into play. Today is the first Sunday in Advent, and I'm here to tell you today that it's a great Sunday to wake up. Our culture has us move straight from feasting on Thanksgiving to feasting for Christmas, And the minds of many American consumers, the Christmas season began the afternoon of Thanksgiving Day or the day after on Black Friday or Cyber Monday or whenever else. We gorged ourselves on material goods those days after we spent the preceding Thursday gorging ourselves on food. If you're like us, we gorged on crabs, not on turkey. Sadly, the great season of Advent is often lost in the shuffle of our cultural liturgies precisely because it doesn't fit very well. It's a season to slow down, a season of preparation, a season of self-examination, a season where we clear away the cobwebs, a season where we drive out the idols that we've constructed, a season where we embrace love in the person of Jesus Christ. There's a fundamental truth that I want us to understand this Advent season. And if there's only one thing you come away with from today's sermon, I hope it's this. And it's that our hearts are temples. Our hearts are temples. Our hearts are places of worship. And that's true of Christians, yes, but it's also true of non-Christians. It's true of theists, but it's also true of non-theists. It's true of anyone who believes in a higher power or anyone who doesn't believe in a higher power. No matter what you believe, your heart is a place where you worship. The question is, what do we worship in this intimate chamber deep within ourselves? Philosopher James K.A. Smith calls us not homo sapiens, but homo liturgicus. That is, we're worshiping creatures. But what are we worshiping? This question, I think, is picked up by our Malachi reading this morning. The prophet says he's looking forward to a day when Israel's worship would be acceptable. What kind of statement is he making about their current worship? That it's unacceptable. 
If you read the Old Testament, it doesn't take long to see why. Israel's worship was often corrupted by the explicit and idolatrous worship of other gods. The Israelites would go to the temple and they'd offer the sacrifices and then they'd walk right out the door down the street to the temple of some other god, temple of Baal. I got to make sure that my harvest comes in or that my wife has more children. I did not sacrifice to Baal. (laughs) After the exile, Israel did put away their explicit worship of other gods but they still had worship that was less than satisfactory. They had a sort of hidden and internal idolatry of the self, which manifested itself in hypocrisy. In external forms of idolatry, we put other things ahead of God. We mistake temporal things for our ultimate end, whether those are wealth or pleasure or power or politics or relationships or whatever. But hypocrisy is also a form of idolatry because It sets the self above others and above God. And the great insidious nature of idolatry is that it promises freedom. This is what the serpent offers Adam and Eve in the garden. Eat the fruit. You'll be like God. But idolatry is the ultimate bondage of our own making. St. Paul actually gets at this in Galatians chapter 4. He goes after some of the Galatians who have relapsed into worshiping idols He says, how be it then when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them, which by nature are no gods, the idols. But now after that ye have known God or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. Idolatry dehumanizes us. It devastates us. It enslaves us. And yet the human tendency is to keep chasing it, listening to those false and empty promises. The solution to this problem is that the temple of our heart has to be cleansed by God's presence. Malachi describes this when he talks about the great and terrible day of the Lord, who will appear like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. The refiner's fire, of course, was used to cleanse metals of their imperfections, and the fuller soap was used to get those stains out of garments. Our gospel reading today illustrates this principle. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem on the original Palm Sunday, and there's this great fanfare from the crowds who had traveled with him to the city. And as he arrives in the city, the residents of Jerusalem are a little bit suspicious of him. They go, who is this guy? To which all the people who came with Jesus said, this is Jesus, the great prophet. And so what does Jesus do, knowing that people are kind of raising his eyebrows at him a little bit? He doesn't make nice. He doesn't act diplomatic. He doesn't hand out his resume and CV to everyone to make sure that they know who he is. He goes straight to the temple where he clears out the money changers. My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. One of my favorite church fathers, Origen, reads this text spiritually. He says that as Christians, we don't have a temple that we go to the same way that Jews did. Rather, our hearts are that temple, the place where we worship. And so when Jesus clears the money changers from the temple, it's a picture of what happens to the person who's freed from their attachment and their love of earthly things. That is the person being freed from their idolatry. 
And this is exactly what St. Paul describes this morning in Romans chapter 13. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light, which he then offers a parallel exhortation in verse 14. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. John Wesley says that our whole salvation is contained in that one phrase, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're invited here on the first Sunday of Advent to allow the presence of God into the deep recesses of our hearts where he purifies us with his purifying fire and cleanses us by banishing those money changers, all the vices, all the sins, all the things that we put above God and above others from us so that our hearts are liberated to worship him. And it's very important to remember that as Christians, we are a people who are not freed from so much as we're a people freed to. Freed to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, and with all our minds. Those idols that we hold on to divide our hearts. The great medieval theologian Hugh of St. Victor says that after the fall, our hearts are divided into as many pieces as things that we worship or things that we crave. Our idolatry literally disintegrates us. And the only solution to that is learning to love God singularly with all of our being and above all things. And so when we do that, it's like uh, the Japanese art form where they take the broken pot and they put it together with gold, right? Our heart comes together. It becomes unified. It becomes reintegrated. We're brought back into alignment when we love God above all things. And this is what lies behind St. Paul's words in Romans 13, a passage often known as the law of love. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love and do what you want, St. Augustine says. Because love corrects us and it orients us towards the good. But here's the important thing for us to be aware of this Advent season. Right now is the time to cast off the works of darkness and put on Jesus Christ. Not later, not after the busyness of the Christmas season, not a New Year's resolution for 2024. Right now. As you know, we've been reading the Divine Comedy on Fridays as part of our study And this past week, Dante has arrived at the foot of Mount Purgatory. He has to ascend the mountain uh, by purging those vices and acquiring the virtues that are needed to become what he's supposed to be. And when he arrives on the beach, he sees one of his old friends who is a musician who's just arrived at Purgatory as well. And so Dante stops him and says, hey, could you sing one of my poems like you used to do? And so the guy does. He starts singing and everybody kind of stops and they're listening to this beautiful song. And the song is no doubt beautiful. But the guardian of purgatory comes over and says, what are you doing? You've got a mountain to climb. Stop being distracted. Stop focusing on these things. Your task is to climb the mountain. Well, guess what? The same thing is true of us right now. We get distracted. We like to divide our hearts, right? But we need to be about worshiping and loving God first and foremost. We have heaven to attain. The work of purging the idols of our hearts, the work of acquiring love for God is the most important thing that we can be doing. And so we have to ask ourselves, what idols lurk in our hearts that are looking to ruin our souls? Get rid of them. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ.
Remember, Christian soul, that thou hast this day and every day of thy life God to glorify, Jesus to imitate, a soul to save, a body to mortify, sins to repent of, virtues to acquire, hell to avoid, heaven to gain, eternity to prepare for, time to profit by, neighbors to edify, the world to despise, devils to combat, passions to subdue, death perhaps to suffer, judgment to undergo. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.